Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where we are ranking all the alternative albums of the 90s and drinking whiskey while we do it. Or at least I am. I'm your host <laughs> Natalie and with me as always is my co-host Hadrian. How are you doing Hadrian? I have to be up at 3am. Yeah, so we're gonna, gonna burn through this this week, so we say... Um, I fully intend to. Okay, well, <laughs> then, then then you just get all up on talking about the 1991 album by Blur, Leisure. Yeah, so this is Blur's first album and their, their debut album, obviously, and uh, it is very different from what you would imagine Blur sounds like, particularly when most people who think about Blur probably think of their self-titled album in 99, uh, 97, that had uh, Song 2 on it. And Song 2 is... It's very it's very weird for a self-titled to come that late in their career because they had several albums between this one and that one. But I know Song 2 is like a jock jam and it's everywhere, but is what do I feel like Boys and Girls is the blur song that Americans know. Uh I think I think that and the most of that album I think is like what people really remember. And Boys yeah. and Girls might be on their album. Yeah, Boys and Girls is on Park Life. Yeah. Which was like I, I was still in high school when Park Life came out. Yeah, I think that was like the mid-90s album. Yeah, it was like 94-ish, I want to say. Yeah, so like th- those those two albums are really what people are familiar with. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Damon Albarn doesn't like this album very much. He doesn't like absolutely despise that they ever made it, but it's more that they were... Well, if you listen to this album, it has their their very textbook, swirly, distortion... 1991 very, British alt rock. Uh, very much taking a a page from shoegaze, but not quite being shoegaze, and it's from Madchester, but not quite being Madchester, except on like the two songs where they're extremely Madchester. Yeah, and so it's uh, so the song the song is a is a was created in a studio vat, and Damon Albarn doesn't like it very much because of that. He said and, it's one of the two bad albums he's ever made, which I think is a little generous. But <laughs> Oh, wow. And, well, I think of Blur albums, I think he's talking specific, specifically about Blur, but, and I think the second album that he lists is also kind of bad. Um, it's the Great Escape was the other one he said was bad. Yes, which is, it's not the worst thing ever. I think it might be better than this one in some ways, but this one has an earn, an honestness in just it being what it is, that it's all it all flows together, it's all very forgettable. But it, it's just... It's not a bad album to listen to. You can put it on and you are like, oh, that album's still playing an hour later. It feel, or it feels like an hour later, that album's still playing. And it's, I, I don't know. It, it, so the reason most people don't know anything from this album is that like only two songs from it ever really got played on tour. And I think that was like repetition and slow down. Yeah, I know I saw that. I don't remember which two songs were the ones that they will like still play. And the There's other... No Other Way is the song that like broke Blur huge in, in England, though. That was like a massive, massive hit single. And it's a great song. And, uh, and, the... and the most Madchester song on the album. Yes, and the yeah. song Sing also appeared on the soundtrack for Trainspotting. Uh, so... Sing, which is cut from the American release of this album. Yes, but we did not do the American release of this album. No, we did the, the British one. It's, it's a similar situation to Goldmother, where it has a really different track list in America, but 
all the songs on this album are good, so that's not as big a deal. <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing to really complain about here. It's, I mean, I think the most you can you can say it's it's a little bit samey, and it's not really definitively their sound, which they're also very aware of. Like the members of Blur are like, oh yeah, that album that was not really us. Yeah, I mean, they said that it was them trying to please their record label, you know. So if they, you're a young band, you do that. But the thing is, for for such a young band, they have a incredible ability to absorb and rework and mix and match trends like if you think about someone coming out around the same time emf like what doomed emf was they could do you know rave baggy beat post madchester dance music really well and they just could not once that trend died prematurely, they were just fucked. They, they just couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Whereas Blur just continually, I, I don't want to say reinvents themselves because I don't think that's quite it, but like they can just write in a wide range of styles, but always sound like themselves. Yeah. And for people who might not know, like they're also the gorillas. Well, Damon Albert is. Yeah. And I think a couple of the other people from Blur also were at least on the first album. But yeah, uh, so like Damon Albarn in, in particular does write in several different styles, and he and then that 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 spark of creativity like shows here and there on the album, and definitely the, the way that he invokes uh, swirly sounds and distortion is something that he's very good at and has continued to do throughout his career, and I think that's what I remember most about. Uh, the whole album Blur and their next album, uh, which I can never remember the title of. Yeah, once you get past Park Life, I start having a harder time keeping them straight. Well, this is the one with the train on the cover, which is important. Oh, is that Modern Life is Rubbish? Yes, okay. which is... Anyway, uh, so in Modern Life is Rubbish, um, that that, al- that album tends to leans more to the playfulness that you hear in this album. And in fact... Uh, it'll be a long time before we talk about that album, so I won't go into detail on it. But there's a hidden track that was later resurfaced as a single, as a like released as a single from that album because of it's just weird juxtaposition. But it also was really good. We'll talk about that later. But I, I bring that up because I think that that just off the wall creativity was trying to get out in this album, and it just didn't do it the way that they. And then they were too afraid to let it go. Yeah, but you can hear it, and you can hear the, like, it, it's it's not really genre jumping, but it, it's like, you know, She's So she's so High is kind of shoegazy, it's kind of Stone Roses, kind of Chapter House, and then you have Slow Down, which is, like, really My Bloody Valentine. Yes. I mean, he's straight up doing, like, the Kevin Shields glide guitar thing where you, like, pull the trim bar back as you're strumming a chord and you're always the, the way Kevin Shields puts it is you're always coming into tune because you you know you strum with the strings bent and then let let off the bend and so you're coming into tune um and there's some of that on um uh wear me down also it's not as wear me down is more like cigarette in my a cigarette in your bed my bloody valentine it just has a real my bloody early my bloody valentine vocal reverb that stood out to me as a kind and of it, a super fan and it, gets, <laughs> and it gets kind of and it gets louder as the song progresses so it's just like when i was sitting in my office today listening to that i was like oh yeah that's very my bloody valentine that's 
that's a thing that I've ha- I have endured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and like I think that the the you know Hacienda Madchester stuff on here works because it's not just that. Like there's they have more influences than let's all sound like Happy Mondays. Yeah, um, and you know there's no other way is very much that style and that that's the one song where it's just like this kind of is just that but it's also like some of the best of that you'll ever hear um otherwise like they mix in a lot of you know late a lot of the same jangle pop stuff that like james was was doing and a lot of the c86 kind of quirky indie pop stuff um which is all kind of coming from the same place in a way, but they make it all, they blend it in a way that you just hadn't really heard yet because those movements were kind of still early on and none of them lasted very long. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's that's what makes this album special to me. It, it's kind of a bunch of stuff that like, oh, you know, it's been done to death or it was like a really short-lived scene that burned itself out because of the drugs or whatever. And so you didn't hear it, you know, you didn't hear Madchester and C86, the, you know, the super lo-fi jingle pop and the and then the high end of British sort of alternative indie rock where the production was really big and the, you know, the there was presumably some money there that unfortunately all got spent on drugs. And so <laughs> that's why the scene didn't last very long because you know they couldn't keep the hacienda club open <laughs> because <laughs> because everyone put all the money up their nose <laughs> um for whatever reason the scene was short-lived it, it you know they didn't get that kind of studious treatment and it, this is a weird album to call studious but like i think it kind of is like it's they, a, it's it a... sounds like a music nerd album because they seem to have listened to everything and put it all into their sound yeah and like it's it's more of a sample of what they can can do and what they will expand on in the future than it is this hot new sound from blur it's more just like oh yeah no they're very good at all of this yeah and uh we're gonna take everything that's been popular in the last five years put it all together in in a fun way and that's gonna be our album yeah and it's in this album solo right it was not like a wild success but it wasn't a failure so they obviously were allowed to do more albums and it's they're it just is kind of a nice album to just put on like if you just need some if you just need noise there you could do far worse than this album yeah that's my biggest complaint about it is that it does nothing stands out a whole lot I mean, there's no other way is is really hooky in in the way it's hooky, and um, you know I like she's so high because it, it again it's that kind of early early shoe days sound. Um, I really like wear me down. Yeah, and I like slow down a lot because it sounds so much like my buddy Valentine. I mean, that one jumped out at me because it was like, oh shit! I never realized Blur sounded this much like my buddy Valentine. I figured you would like that aspect of this album because yeah. it's 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 a wild thing to hand someone who's only heard like later Blur, and then you give them this, you're like, what the fuck did I just listen to? I'm like, it was, but was it bad? Oh, absolutely not. But like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I did hear some of this like back when it was new because um, it got played on. Um, well, as I said last week, we didn't have 
MTV where I grew up, but we did have TBS and their video music video program Night Tracks, which I watched religiously. And there was <laughs> stuff off this album that got played on Night Tracks, and I really liked it back then when I was when I was the one kid in Arkansas who was like, you know what's really cool? Madchester. <laughs> Um, so I, I was aware that they sounded like this, you know, at the beginning of their career, but, but it's, it's a, a trip to go back and listen to, you know, it's like listening to Radiohead's first album or something. It's a lot better than that, that album. Yes, very much so. Cause it's like, it's, they're just very skilled musicians who were trying to fit a, a niche, but they weren't quite sure what that niche was going to be. So it turns into someone walking through the studio being like, well, what if you did more of this? And I feel that's just how the music transformed itself. It's It was just an album by committee done by very competent musicians who would go on to do way cooler stuff. And it's nice to know that, like, I think debut albums can really give you, like, a, a, a it, as they should, you know, expectation of what you to expect later. And this album, I think you listen to it and go, like, they want to do different stuff. And... That is what you take away from it. It's like they're very confident that the thing they're doing here, but it's clear that they don't want to be doing this. Yeah, but but it's uh, I disagree with Damon Albarn that this is a bad album. It's it's definitely not a bad album. It's, it's definitely not a blur album. I think that's what he's more. Yeah, and it's in its derivative. It's derivative in a good way, but it is derivative. You know, it's it's not announcing this you know huge new band it's it's announcing here's do you like the thing that's popular here's another band that can do it that can do it really well and by the time he said those things like 2014 the thing is when he finally like flat out said this and park life were like just trash is he'd already had massive swings in his career where he influenced the current sound and he's not the first name you think of when it's someone's influencing but if you look at his various projects you're like oh yeah around this time all bands started sounding like this. Everyone started doing this weird uh, hip-hop mashup that the Gorillaz was doing. Like, it's a... He didn't necessarily pioneer it, but he made the sound so crisp and his own that it became influential. And when you're in that... This, I think it's the same problem that... Uh, oh my god, I forgot his name. The uh, lead singer and songwriter for XTC. Andy Partridge. Yes. Uh, he has a similar creative vibe that doesn't let him like things and also XCC had some influence in what they were doing because they were just jamming and making mixing sounds that they liked and then people took influence around it and I'm not saying that these are like wildly era changing bands but like it's very clear that these very these skilled musicians had an influence in their in the larger area around them and they also hate everything they've done if they think about it too hard <laughs> i mean blur is pretty wildly era changing in in the uk oh for sure they, i mean they have had like zero career in america for the most part but it's i mean they're a weird one because like oasis was nowhere near as big here as they were in england but blur is like before song two and gorillas like it was not uncommon for americans to have no idea who the fuck blur was oh yeah I mean, I had Blur albums because my mom got them for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, was... but we're British music nerds. Like, of course, yeah. we we're gonna know. But like the the you know the average American radio listener heard Champagne Supernova on the radio at least once <laughs> and and knew who I, and Wonderwall obviously. Um, so like 
I mean, but there was like Boys and Girls was like a minor hit, but it would have been instantly forgotten because it was like the one song that Blur had that was a hit. Uh, yeah, song song two was. Yeah, song two is where they really took off. But how many people like identify that song as Blur? Like it's it's just I mean it's as kind of because of its like josh jam quality it's it's almost as anonymous here as you know, think, how many people know who did rock and roll number two in america well, like gary glitter is not exactly no one needs a household to know. name no one knows needs to know who did rock and roll number two no it's best it, it that came we just out of the that. ether it's a very you know it, it sounds like it came out of the ether it sounds like it was the primordial josh jam yes and and one day when for whatever reason, we completely forget that song. Song two will be the primordial Josh Jam. I knew it was Blur because I knew Damon Albarn's voice, and you can't hide it. Which is why when I first heard the Gorillas, people were like, "Who is this? You don't know who they are." I was like, "That's the fucking guy from Blur." It, it's it, they never tried to hide who they, and that was like the whole selling point. So this like, was the this, so here's the thing about the Gorillas and my childhood. Children thought that they were hiding who they were because they were animated. So no one in my particular in my area had, you know, internet foresight enough to Google it because Google didn't exist. We had Netscape and Ask Jeeves <laughs> and Ask Jeeves was going to tell you fucking anything. Well, it did because I looked it up. I was like, I think this is Damon Albarn. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, look, it's the, the, the dude from Blur. So yeah. Whereas for people like me who were like 23 when the first Gorillaz album came out, it was like. Oh, the guy from Blur and the woman from Chivo Mato and Del the Funky Homo Sapien are starting a band together. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, and I was also one of the only people who looked up who the fuck Del was after I heard this album, that album for the first time. I was like, Del's great. And so, <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing is like when I was, that was the, the, I don't know what grade in school 13 is but it's around seventh grade yeah but that was around the time people were just like oh, this thing is so new and different and we're just like yeah it's the gorillas <laughs> it's it's also that guy from blur it's fine and also that guy from tank girl who drew tank girl yep okay well where do you want to rank this let me get the rankings up you always ask me before here. i get to see the list i was like i don't have it committed to memory probably put it around like 30 um let me see i think that's pretty agreeable to I me i mean because it's, it's not a bad album and that's not a bad place to put it but it's yeah. like there's a lot of stuff that's going to be better than this but it's more more that you should listen to this album if you want to like understand some weirdness about blur yeah i'm just trying to my only thing is do I want to fight to put it below Smoke Room if you got him, but I also really like Shoegaze. And <laughs> even though this isn't pure Shoegaze, there's enough Shoegaze in it that I'm having that battle of objectively, do I think this is better than Smoke Room if you got him, or do I just like it more because it has a lot of layers of dreamy guitar? Yeah, I mean it's very accessible shoegaze, and like it, it's, and I think more accessible than a lot of other shoegaze, just because it's not 
going. Which is it's not really shoegaze. It's yeah. shoegaze inspired. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with number 30. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a fair a fair placement for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to get too much higher than that because there are much better Blur albums that we will talk about later. But this is, yes. this is a better album than the band gives it credit for. If you've never listened to it and you have a taste for, you know, late 80s, early 90s British indie rock, like definitely check it out. And I think it's a testament to their creativity. Yeah, and just it shows that they had something that other bands of their time didn't necessarily have. Bands can't don't can't often go, we're good for whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll put that on the list and then we'll come back for Moon Poles and Caterpillars. second album this week is my pick which was lucky dumpling an album by Moonpoles and caterpillars from 1995 and if you have never heard of this band i don't blame you um you're better off this was their only album that was released by a label they had a live album that they self-released before this and then after this they self-released a second album which I own, and we will be doing on this show, even though it's not on Spotify. <laughs> oh, I fucking hate that. Too bad uh, I'm quitting the show. <laughs> so, okay, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I'll, I'll tear it in a second. Well, okay, so I was just going to give some background. So Moonpools and Caterpillars were a Glendale, California band. Big surprise there. Um, and they are all filipino except for the singer who i'm assuming is married to the guitarist because they have the same last name but she is pointed out as the one non-filipino member of the band so i don't think they're brother and sister and the and the worst element of the band yes okay so i don't there's not much information about this band out there because they just aren't you know they made this one album that didn't really have any commercial success was critically successful for the time guess guess the the all music rating for this oh, album fucking five stars four stars i, I see i was gonna just like just wanted to piss on them for that <laughs> well you should piss on them for four stars um it's about a two star it's about a two star album yeah i might go one and a half to, it, it's I, I go back and forth so here's the thing with moon poles and caterpillars they are the story of a singer who would not shut the fuck up ever. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> Look, so listen. I can deal I was and I was gonna do an, an imitation of the fucking warbling on this, but I have a, my sinuses are stopped up and I can't do it when my sinuses are stopped up. But yes, what you said <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, like it's stupid, but the problem is that a good singer knows when to fucking stop. And you know how most songs, most pop songs between the ver- between where the chorus ends and the verse starts again, there's a musical break. Well, Timmy Ward Encarnacion is having none of that. She just warbles and yelps and hoots and hollers through everything that should be an instrumental break. Like she literally never stops singing at any point and when Um, she's singing words it's fine but when she's not singing words yeah she has her voice is fine like i don't love her voice but she has kind of that like gwen stefani kind of that that's the 
just as far as like tone i would compare her most to gwen stefani in terms of style obviously her number one influence is dolores o'reardon yeah which she cannot do because so because like dolores o'reardon sounds pretty bad when she does it like it's annoying and zombie but But imagine every song being zombie 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 except it's not words yeah, and then and, and, and in Zombie, which I like that song, and Natalie's wrong about it, it's an aesthetic choice. Like it is, it is designed to be a whale. It's designed to be mournful and be unpleasant. And like, so that's my defense of Zombie. But and we'll get to that when we do that album. Here, it is indefensible. It's like no one in that room could tell her to shut the fuck up. So because- the producer on this album was Richard Dodderer, who produced the Go Go's. What? The guy who produced the Go-Go's couldn't tell her to shut the fuck up sometimes? What the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah, like, I assumed that this was, like, them and, like, a producer with no experience who was afraid to, like, tell the band, hey, maybe don't do this thing. Well, I mean, there was a lot of, like, warbly girl groups that were doing things like this, and it was not good for them either. And it's a whole kind of 90s music that unfortunately rears its fucking head every other every other year where someone else makes a warbly fucking album where they won't stop fucking singing if you're if you're not an acapella group fucking just take a breath sometimes sorry i i have a hard time because the reason this bothers me so much is that the music is decent the lyrics are relatively fine the songs themselves could be so much better yeah so the guitarist is named jj Encarnacion, and he's pretty awesome yeah like he's way into the edge obviously like a lot of his stuff sounds like he does he pulls off what the edge does where he's the only guitarist and it sounds like three people playing because he uses effects so well um he clearly likes david gavarin from the sundays there is a song called sunday that sounds like the Sundays, except <laughs> for the singer doing fucking, like, Ladysmith Black Mombazo singing over uh. the intro. Which, again, nothing wrong with them, but why was she allowed to do it? Why Why did the producer not step in and say, you know what, I don't think the Lion King soundtrack is what pairs the best with the song that sounds like the Sundays. Yeah, and that that's, it's just so fucking impurity. Like, she, she sounds like they picked her up at Lilith Fair. And then yeah, like, she has a little bit of jewel in her voice too, like kind it, of like if you imagine Gwen Stefani plus Jewel trying but, to sing like Dolores O'Riordan, that's that's her voice. But Jewel at least has fucking restraint. Like this this singer is doing a, a fucking just her her worst Mariah Carey impression over a, a genre of music that shouldn't have that kind of singing in it. Yeah, I do think that like there is an issue of I feel like the rhythm section probably. I feel like this band probably started out as a pop punk band. Yes. And then the guitarist heard Dream Pop and was like, hey, guys, I'm really good and I can do all this cool shit with effects now. And they were like, that's cool. We still want to play ska sometimes. And and I then she wouldn't. And then they got the singer who thought that, well, the rest of the band keeps playing. Why, do, why doesn't the singer keep playing? Because, because a good portion of learning to be a singer is learning when to shut the fuck up. You it's, can write song lyrics that are three pages long. I I present to you Joanna Newsom's ease. Ugh. Lyrics upon lyrics upon lyrics. All and one of the best albums of all time. 
You know why? Because she doesn't just never stop singing. She makes her song 15 minutes long to fit all those lyrics in. And that's beautiful and wonderful and is is the best album of the century. But um, that that's a that's a hard no for me. It's a, I, that is a hill I will die on. Uh, okay, but, well, I'm looking for a new spouse, y'all, because that's about to be a murder. Um, but Jesus Christ, it's it's like it's just all over the place. And it's, so, it's, like, it's detrimental to the like the first song where she's not doing it nearly as badly as the rest of the album. I was like. Yeah, this could, this could, I see what Natalie means. This could be, oh no. Yeah, yeah. The first three songs are all good songs that you just, it's so unpleasant to listen to her sing. They could almost be catchy. They that could almost be off. good songs. Yeah. And the song Soon, like, that should be a hit song. Yeah. But she that fucking is, massacred it. That's the worst offense for her on the whole album because the sort of long outro to Soon. She's playing harmonica, and I picked out at least three tracks of her hooting all overdubbed on each other while she plays a harmonica solo. Oh, yeah. Like, how was it allowed? How? Well, they obviously couldn't get another person to produce their albums after this, <sighs> so I, I imagine that album was produced under duress by the end of it, and... <laughs> I would drop them too, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not at all surprising why this band was dropped after this album, which I hate to say because there is talent, and even the singer is. If again, she learns if, restraint, if she's someone good. were there telling her, "Okay, no, this is the part where you shut up," it would be fine. She would be a thousand other female vocalists from the mid nineties. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, her voice is nice, but when she abuses her use of her voice it's just wrong it, it's kind of like if you're listening to i don't know a swing band and then the horn section just decides that it's gonna just run wild over everyone else that, that works for a little bit part of the swing song and then it's just like <laughs> like every other every other measure just like yeah this is becoming the hoot 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 show and i can't really listen to this yeah so my other problem with them is that when they turn into Smash Mouth. <laughs> um, so the songs Trampling Rose and Summertime are like, if you ever wondered what would it be like if Emma Anderson from Lush were the guitarist for Smash Mouth, <laughs> like those songs, there you go. Um, because they have this real jokey, dumb street, <laughs> like the middle of this album. It's like bookended by like four good dream pop songs that are ruined by the vocals, but everything in between is like bad. Yes. Like bad, bad. Summertime, where they rip off the riff from Lowrider. Mm. Why? How does that fit on this album? And then they do um, Heaven and Crazy Old World, which are both just like snoozer adult contempo ballads. And it Made just, worse. Like, yeah, which again, like, what if what if Celine Dion except more? <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm going to defend Celine Dion here because at least her voice sounds nice when she does the weird stuff. 
and she's a fucking weirdo. So Celine Dion's pretty good. Um. So yeah, this is just. It's gonna be real hard to to rank in a way because like, I don't think it's gonna be real hard to rank. Well, it how low d- does it go? Is is the question? Uh, three <laughs> like, up, three up from the bottom because it, the music could be better if it, they had stopped. Um. So I like I think that okay. So I think there's an argument that it goes as high as number sixty one which would be between Uncle Anesthesia and Eve 6, to as low as 64, no, 65, which puts it between Resident Alien and the pod. And the reason I say that is there are four songs on this album. Here, which is the first song, Rin, the second song, Colossal Youth, and um, Coo Coo Coo. Those songs are all good if they had a different singer yeah most of and soon is is in there except she fucks that one up so badly that it's hard for me to even say i like it i i do like in spite of the vocals i like the first two songs yeah i think that first <laughs> song is all right but, I, I, but... and and i like uh two 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 even though it has it has bad lyrics but it's it's like the guitar in that song is so good. He he does such a good like the edge, palm muted, like mega delay th- like <laughs> riff that it's. As someone who is a much bigger fan of the edge than I am of you two, I appreciate when people try to play like the edge. Um, but like the rest of the album is so shitty that I think there's a real argument that a Resident Alien is better than this. You know. And and my problems with it are the same as the problems I have with Resident Alien, which is when they don't take it seriously, it's incredibly obnoxious. But yeah, but there are at least two, two and a half, like, decent fucking songs on, on that Resident Alien album, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. It, this goes right above the pod. Like, I don't... Yeah, I think that's... Because I don't really think it's better than that Arrested Development album, which is at 62... I would only say it's better than Eve 6 because I like the guitarist, but Eve 6 is way more cohesive and knows what they are and doesn't yelp nonstop through the they, whole album. They stuck to a sound. They had a one-hit wonder that was pretty decent, not lyrically very good, but like people enjoy that song even today. No one will pick up this album and go, I enjoy this for what it is today. <laughs> Like, yeah, you, like, I, I wonder if those people who gave it good reviews in the 90s are like, what was I thinking? Because I don't find anybody, I could not find anyone who says that Kimmy needs to shut the fuck up occasionally, which to me is just like such a glaring fucking problem. Well, that with was this such, album. A, uh, such a problem with a lot of like uh, women vocalists in that particular stretch of time it's like it's not not everyone who was in a like a rock band or an alternative band was doing it but a lot of singer songwriters were doing that same shit and they were getting praised the fuck for it i've never heard anyone who's as bad as this no 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 she's she's she is mimicking things that like fiona apple was doing yeah dolores o'riordan is the only person i've heard who comes close to being this bad about it and she wasn't this bad really until their third album when which is like the bad Granberries album, and then and I still defend her because her voice is so dynamic and so powerful that she was using it for emphasis and trying to make a, a different instrument out of it. Like she, she's a better singer, and she is someone who is aware of using her voice in dynamic range for a reason. 
and the singer here does not. I'm hope hopefully she does now because she did have the potential <laughs> to do it. It's just you can't just. Yeah, apparently that they did do like a reunion tour primarily of the Philippines, like around 2015. Okay. And I have thoughts on Filipino music um, that I'm afraid will sound racist because like there's a fuck ton of Filipino dream pop bands mm-hmm. and like none of them are very good. <laughs> oh, I mean, like not for the same reasons that, that this band is bad. Cause this, this is a band that's like pretty accomplished musically with a terrible singer. Whereas like the Filip- Filipino dream pop bands I've listened to a whole lot of them just kind of sound like we don't, quite get what this music is supposed to do (laughs) like it's kind of like really stark like goth dream pop if there's a huge uh goth filipino scene like yeah like like, there are good filipino bands i'm not i'm not saying like no no one from the philippines can make good music but it it is interesting to me that like there's such a, a lot of like filipino guitarists who are into dream pop but who do it do things to it that like make me a massive dream pop fan not like it that much (laughs) well think about like uh so so the philippines has a tremendous amount of cultural influences from all over and a lot of a lot of that it gets filtered through various asian populations that come into the philippines and so wherever dream pop was super popular like if it was taking off in china if it was taking off in korea it was going to filter through into the Philippines. Yeah, and I'm sure Faye Wong had a little bit to do with that. Yeah. Because I think she kind of introduced the whole region. To, I mean, there was a... There's always been, like, Japanese shoegaze bands, but Japan is kind of a... Like, Japanese indie rock doesn't really go beyond the borders of Osaka half the time. So. Yeah. <laughs> um... All right, so I think we're settled. I think this is the the second worst album of the nineties, and, and, and it would be much higher. I mean, I would put if the if the warbling wasn't happening, I would put it above that Eve Six album. Yeah, without the, yeah, if it were the exact same songs without the warbling, that's probably where I would put it. Uh, actually, I might go as high as above Throwing Copper, but like it's there's too many songs that are just bad ideas all around like yeah. in between the the few of the handful of, of ones that could that had the potential to be really good with restrained vocals yeah i can take you know interesting amateur musician like amateur sound versus compelling guitar playing ruined by a lack of restraint elsewhere. yeah I and mean, if you've never heard this album it's worth listening to it just to hear we're not we are not exaggerating. we're not exaggerating at all like she literally doesn't stop singing like she like you might get four bars at the start of the song where she's not singing but once she starts she doesn't stop for the rest of the song so man it, it's it's something like this album is impressive in like how did this get released on a major because it's a major major label album this was on Electra. Uh, Electra, I mean, sometimes I just made some mistakes, and this was one of them. Who I think is the label Bjork was on in America. Well, I mean, if you want Warbling. But again, nothing like this. No. See, again, Bjork is a dynamic singer who knows how to use her voice as an instrument and in different, you know, effects and passion and power behind it. 
you gotta learn to do that before you do that in a song. <laughs> because if you don't know what a crescendo and a decrescendo are, when you're just deciding that you're just gonna like throw some sounds on your on your song, no, no. Yeah, it's just if you've never been in like a place that had a local music scene where you got to see like shitty bands who could barely tune their guitars play and it was just painful. Like this band is not that because the music the guys playing the instruments are all really good at their yes. instrument. But that just kind of like who thought this was a good idea that you get when you see a band just totally like bombing live and like it usually only happens to like to I've seen plenty of total no name bands that I did not remember five minutes later who it was was that kind of like we can't write songs we can't tune our instruments nobody in the band can sing <laughs> why was this band allowed to go on stage <laughs> like and and this is we are a sex robot and we're here to make you feel sad about things no the, no no sex robot <laughs> is way better than what i'm thinking of um but yeah like this is that level of bad idea <laughs> and like it kind of has to be heard to be believed and eventually we'll get to their second album which is very similar to this probably a little more rock a little less dream pop but the vocal problems are not fixed oh <laughs> No one wants that. Yeah. I, I I haven't listened to it in years. It's sitting on the shelf over there. It may huh. be... It may, it may find its way they, they might have been they, The vocal issues actually might have been worse. I don't remember for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Lucky Dumpling by Moonpoles and Caterpillars going at number 65. All right. And time for the ceremonial reading of the top 10. Number 10 is Earthling by David Bowie. Number 9, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number 8, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Number 7, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number 6 is Spooky by Lush. Number 5 is Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number 4, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number 3 is Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number 2 is Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. And number 1 is Nonsuch by XTC. If you want to see our complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And you can also search on Spotify for nr1990s, where you can find every episode of the show and also our official show playlist, which contains every album we have ever ranked, as well as the two we're ranking next week. So what are you bringing next week, Adrian? I'm bringing the recorded in 1989 to 1990, released in France in 1991, then everywhere else in 1992, Third album by Pulp called Separations. Yeah, I love Separations. I fucking love Separations. Separations is so good. It is It is completely not what people think about when they think about Pulp because it was right before they changed everything. But uh, it's it's you can tell you can see the the bridge though. This was when like he'd met Nick Curry at this point, and you can feel it. So there's there's some real disco like the disco starts on Separations and then really kicks into to gear after that. But yeah, Separations is an awesome album. Um, I'm bringing an album, uh, another album, shooting for the bottom half of the list next week, and I'm gonna. I, I I may end up putting it higher. It's the one album by this band that I don't completely hate. Uh, it's Facelift by Alice in Chains. You know that's not that bad. It's, it's the only Alice in Chains album that I don't find deeply obnoxious. I, I had an Alice in Chains period in my life. And I still find it pretty obnoxious, just not as bad as their other albums. So, yeah, that's what we're looking at next week. And, uh, well, 
you got to get up at three in the morning. So to I give a lecture should... about uh, pseudoscience in Australia. Oh, amazing. Well, then let's stop talking and start sleeping. <laughs>